Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One, two, three, four. Filled with on fright. See Jurassic right. In the number light. See Jurassic right. See Jurassic right. Right, right. Jurassic Ride, 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 Jurassic Ride, 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 Jurassic Ride, Jurassic Ride, Jurassic Park. Uh, okay, cool. I'm excited. I wrote a very long intro for Andrew. Ah, I said his name. <laughs> Host of Triassic Park, Milkshakes and Mimosas, has the most impressive cat and alien collections, is also now helping edit this podcast as well as Brenna White's Mouthhole. It's Andrew Roebuck. Hello, hello. Ah, it's good to be chatting. We literally just talked for like almost an hour before this. <laughs> or no, we <laughs> exactly. did talk for an hour. Oh my god. We had a percentage were just shooting the shooting the breeze for an hour. <laughs> Sorry, we did not record that. It's not a Patreon exclusive. We're just catching up. But um You know, people you know, there's this thing called hanging out without podcasts. It happens very What? Well. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, and I, Sarah from the Percast, Andrew's been a guest multiple times. Uh, we, yeah, we're always like, wait, were we talking about this on the pod or outside the pod? <laughs> this is the dangers of our freelance hustle culture. We don't know when we're on or off anymore. We are just permanently 
living in a state of uh of talking about cool shit i guess oh yeah uh, N- nothing's nothing's more crazy than um talking to somebody about a story that happened in your life and then you slowly realize that you just heard it on a podcast you yeah know? we're here today also to talk about dinosaurs and yeah i think i mentioned in the heyday of Jurassic June, I'm very happy that it, really the focus was my conversations with Omar and, you know, getting kind of back to the source of just why I like these movies and stuff and, you know, Jurassic Park. And we you know specifically focused on the first three movies, um, you know, the original era. And I realized, again, you know, again, the like uh, lokiness of it, of where everything is happening simultaneously, where like I'm getting Facebook memories and TBTs of when my book molding a Jurassic universe came out in may of 2015 and yeah i was like oh i forgot i wrote a you know like <laughs> yeah, because exactly. because even this book was like for those who don't know or was i talking about the sun or not but you know my journey back into Jurassic park was was finding uh, a set of cards at frankenson's like a oh, unopened box of jp tops and watching Jurassic collectibles and you know other uh, YouTube channels were like, oh, Jurassic as a fandom, like maybe I'll get back into this. And then through like writing for Geek and Sundry and places like that, it was like these these uh, writings ended up turning into this book because I think we were just saying off the pod uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> like this. This I, I it almost I don't even know how it happened, but there was almost this like after Jurassic World comes out, we're not going to be able to talk about these original movies because you obviously are. Could I call you a film historian? You are, you are a, a, at um, least an amateur one. You are, you are a, a, um, a beautifully um, um, absorber of film history. <laughs> That's, and, so and also that, That's so much better. That's so much better. And that idea as well, too, of like, uh, as far as writing about things, like you can't write about something to me. Okay, this is gonna be really quick, but like to me, like the idea of like watching, like Sarah and I wanted to start a Futurama podcast where we would watch. We even recorded, I think, like six episodes. We wanted to do like an episode by episode breakdown and not spoil future episodes. But it's so difficult because it's like, well, I know what happened. So that's going to inform how I feel about rewatching something. So, uh, yeah, I feel like you read a lot of stuff. And, and to me, it's like interesting. And again, this book, it's like, oh, like this was the last time I could talk about these original Jurassic Park movies without the knowledge of the this phase of the franchise, the Jurassic World phase. Yeah, and I think one of the, the, the really strong parts about this book is that it is so much of its time, right? Like, I, I feel like, you know, I think people sometimes try to present writing like it's timeless, and I, yes. I actually really prefer writing that's very of its time because that makes it a, a very much of a historical piece because this is looking on at you and your opinions on the franchise at a very specific point in your life. And it's it's your opinions at that moment. And it's your opinions going into this movie you haven't seen yet. And all of this stuff is like, you know, molding around in your head to <laughs> mold a Steven universe. Huh? <laughs> um, that 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 really kind of captures a point in time. And, and you know, it kind of puts you into this spot in history that you know you will never be able to have that experience again and it's yeah. really cool that this is like forever it's like amber now like this book <laughs> is like your amber <laughs> and like this, this this is like if they were going to clone you from this book it would be it would be crazy oh gosh would there be feathers yeah. i don't know 
Yeah. Well, that's a great point. And yeah, again, that was part of like, yeah, it's the sixth anniversary of this book was earlier this year, but it was like, it's not a book that's like, you know, five facts about Jurassic World that Stephen (laughs) got right, you know, like, or whatever. It's not, it wasn't really about that. But when you mentioned that you had uh, listened to the audiobook, I was very touched and I was like, well, let's just, I don't know. I mean, again, because of your, um, your fascination with film history and, and that kind of the, the artifactiness of it all, I was like, well, let's just, talk about it and uh yeah i mean i i feel like you might be the only person to have appreciated the congo quote at the, the I loved opening it. i loved it i love that because i was like oh yeah it, you know this is classic steven it instantly starts with the congo quote and i was like perfect like you know we all change throughout six years but there are some things about you that have remained the same <laughs> and your love of congo is one of those um, two, I, I love, uh, there's like a random Mortal Kombat reference in there. And I'm oh. like, Oh, there you go. That, that's textbook Steven there. Steven still loves, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat. And then a whole bunch of alien content where this could literally almost be called molding a Jurassic and Xenomorph, <laughs> Xenomorph universe. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. And then you've shown me your, your really impressive alien collection. And I guess for what is, what about alien? Uh, yeah, like, I just, I'm almost just curious now, like, not almost curious, I am curious. See, like, the, <laughs> the language of talking on a podcast versus the sort of more defining language of a book. But, um, yeah, what was your, do you, did you get into Alien around the same time as, cause again, you love, uh, Universal Monsters, horror movies, Jaws, you know, all these kind of class. I mean, for, for people who haven't listened to Triassic Park yet, which I urge you to do, you know, it is, di- you know, it's monster movies before Jurassic Park, essentially. And yeah, like what about Alien, uh, fascinates you? It, it's really fun because this actually does kind of tie into this book in, in quite a few ways is because I think it's Alien 3. I think Alien 3 is what really draws me into it. Like, Alien, I think Alien, the first movie, is, is probably my favorite film of all time. Like, just uh, wow. as a piece. Uh, I think yeah. Alien 979 is just perfect. Like, every time I watch it, I'm like, yes, I love it. it. It was it was way too relatable to watch in 2020. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, like, as a franchise... Alien 3, because when I watched it, I was younger, right? And I, I watched Aliens and I loved Aliens and I love the ending of Aliens. And then Alien 3 takes all of that. It just takes all of it apart. And it really kind of hammers home, like, what is mortality? What does it mean to survive, essentially? Um, yeah. and as, as a kid, I was like, this is terrible. Like this, I hate this. Yeah. Whoa, blah, it ruined everything that I love. And like, and now it's like one of my favorite elements of that franchise is because it's just like this is not a typical sequel in any way especially not of today like because it it really was built to just end the front like end everything yeah um and and, and And it does so definitively and not in an upbeat way at all um and it's just really a, a fascinating character piece and i think like that and then i was working insane hours at a company that didn't care about me very oh. much uh and like that was kind of been like you know from you're your whalen yutani yeah essentially and i started to become really like connected to the like oh like i can i can relate to the the lower on the totem pole people from like the original alien and like just you know getting to a, uh, getting an idea of like how the <laughs> the corporate universe works in, in a lot of ways and i think that's what really kind of drew me to that franchise 
Um, and I do like that. Like for me, Alien is just a franchise that one can be very depressing or it can be uplifting and it can be sometimes it can be both. And it also has a lot of movies that really make people mad. Like it's not really <laughs> a cohesive universe in no. many ways. Um, and just seeing how it's dealt with that is very interesting. And the expanded universe just kind of ran up and kind of hit me because I started listening to a podcast and they were like chatting about the expanded universe. And then I was like, ah, I mean, I have a lot of time at this job, so I'm just going to listen to all these audiobooks, And I just ne- never stopped. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right though. There. And yeah, to me, that's why there is a DNA of, uh, <laughs> I like how I just half commit to the jokes about the stuff, but, uh, uh, no, but I mean, there is to me thematically very res. I mean, they deal with it in very different ways. Like again, like if Paul Reiser is, I mean, he's almost more, he's, he's like in between Hammond and Gennaro, uh, yeah, yeah. Burke, Burke is his name in aliens. And I would almost say the alien franchise, or at least the first few movies are more in, to- similar in tone to the original Jurassic Park book. Crichton was yeah. very critical of it's very funny because it's that thing of like he was a brilliant uh you know uh, he literally was like doing his rounds as a me- like a- after graduating from medical school and he's like eh, I don't want to be a doctor and also I hate <laughs> doctors and I hate most scientists but also I'm going to try and explain everything really well so that a whole generation of kids grow up wanting to be scientists like yeah what a, what, a, what a wild um journey you know in that sense but like I-, I think in some ways a lot of jurassic park is is more hopeful and it's the idea that almost like the the sort of evils of corporate greed and all those things and the hubris of man can be superseded by the sublime power of nature whereas i almost think alien is more cruel yeah that's that's very true i think what one of the things that was one of the best essays uh in, in this book is when you really talk about how you know, Spielberg comes at this with like a lot more, uh, well, a, a, a thousand times more sympathetic view of John Hammond and, and really kind of in that first movie is really talking about the wonder of this. Yeah. Um, in a way that I think is, it, it is really hard to, um, you know, get it. It's not there. In <laughs> in the Crane book, the Crane book has a little bit of wonder, uh, but it's like it's it, it is a bit it's meaner. It's definitely yeah. meaner. Uh, and Hammond is 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 much less uh, of of a dreamer and more of a schemer. I would almost say um, it, <laughs> in in that that one. And it, it really is fascinating because you know uh, Spielberg also did Jaws, right? And yeah, the book for Jaws is also very depressing. I mean, there's like affairs, oh, really? there's the mob. It's like uh, the sheriff is like a sad man. It's just is a loser, I, pretty much. I would <laughs> love, to, I would love to read the original Jaws. I gave, um, I found an original. Uh, it might might not be the first run, but I found like a, a, a an original uh, copy of the book I gave to Karen for her birthday this year, and yeah, like seeing the amazing. cover and the author just looking like so seventies. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, I really, I kind of want to read this book now because yeah, I don't know, I don't know anything about the book. 
Yeah, no, it's really interesting to to tackle because you know so much about like the Crichton, like looking at how Spielberg adapted Jaws. And now, of course, like, you know, there's writers and I like a lot like like Spielberg is not the sole creator of each of these. We've got David Kep in this and there's like, yeah, um, Carl Gottlieb in the case of Jaws. But oh, yeah, the, the, the way that these things are adapted and the way that Spielberg adapts them um, is very similar, I I find, in in a lot of ways that make them like an interesting character study because, you know, uh, there's a lot more, you know, I I feel like at his core, uh, Spielberg is an optimist, it feels like. And he like, he he can make dark stories, but there's always a level of hope. And I mean, like, even in, you know, um, his darkest stuff, which like Schindler's List and everything like that, like there is a very um, deliberate element of hope in that. And he has this view of movies as like a, a tool for like fantasy and to, to get away and to live these other worlds and how that can impact our own world is is very is he's a very fascinating character, I would say. No, I I, re- I watched the documentary about him, the HBO doc a few years ago, and I was like, oh, like as somebody who I, you know, grew up loving, like I'd never really thought about his own personal life. But then that was like a really cool. It's almost like Steven Spielberg is like he's like a middle ground between like a Miyazaki who like he is so miserable, but yet he <laughs> the more miserable he is, the more optimistic his movies are, you know? Yeah, 100%. But he has a collection of essays. Uh, he's done two books. Oh, the fir- I have the f- not read those. Those sounds cool. And the first one, they're both, I think one is like starting point and middle point. I don't know. The first one I read in one of my favorite quotes from it is, what is hope but to suffer with the ones you love? And I was like, <laughs> mm, Damn. Mm, that is such a crunchy Miyazaki quote. And I and I feel like now that you're saying this, like, yeah, Spielberg isn't quite there but there is this almost like deliberate element of like, I don't think you could make a movie like Jurassic Park now and have Hammond be redeemed, redeemable and lovable in that way by the end, you know? No, because in real life, we have people like Elon Musk promising dinosaurs, right? Like we have like these people who like are, we know as <laughs> are not great. Like I think we are too, are too knowledgeable about the capitalist underpinnings that wouldn't be needed for like a Jurassic Park. Where like now in like, in this idea of like, no, like this is a Jurassic Park b- born from dreams. Yeah. And I, I love how you even bring up in the book, you even bring up like his take on like hook with Peter Pan too. Like you kind of like use all of those elements of, of his past career to really talk about how it informed Jurassic Park in a, a great way. Oh, thank you. I, I was about to say the only good billionaire is Rihanna, but like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course. But uh, um, this just made me think again, before we dive into more Jurassic Park stuff or whatever, but like, Because I've told you, I've never seen, I think I've maybe seen a little bit of Jaws 2 and maybe 3 on TV. Like, I I think I only remember the, like, SeaWorld, like, tank scene or what, like, you know, the the walkway that people go through at a lot of aquariums. Like, I think (laughs) I remember that, you know, as, as we're comparing these franchises that have very strong openings and then kind of have been searching their way ever since what like tell me about the jaws franchise i like i again i really know nothing like is it uh is it similar in a way to like an alien or a jurassic park or is it kind of it's or even less of a cohesive thing oh it's like well it's a they try to be cohesive but it just does not work it does not work because like the elements that they take is they try to 
like there's a core Brody family in the in the start, first movie, and they try to pretty much make it so that various members of the Brody family are the focus of further movies. Um, and it just keeps getting more and more ridiculous until in Jaws Revenge, it's literally a shark hunting them down for revenge. How do they showcase the shark's motivation? It's like, oh, I hate them, you know, like, <laughs> well, like how do book, you show that side like, of the story? In the novelization, it's a literal voodoo court curse. Um, but what? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the novelization, there's a, a voodoo curse put on the Brodies, and that's how the sharks like get get attached to them mystically. In the movie, you just get it from dialogue because like Ellen Burstyn, who's who is great in Jaws wow. Revenge, is basically like, it's hunting us, it's killing our entire family. Because she like moves out to the Barbados after it like uh, attacks them in Amity Island and like they're all the way like across the ocean and it comes for them and like everyone is like, Mom, you're like kind of crazy. And she's like, No, no, I'm not. They're out to get us. Um but wow. what what's fascinating is, um, you know, I think Jaws is like from a very like what you think of when people would talk about old sequels where they talk maybe about the law of diminishing returns and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I do feel like that is very much on play in the Jaws franchise. And I think the biggest issue is that they kind of hampered creators after the first Jaws. Yeah. Um, because like in Jaws 2, it's like they had a whole idea and a whole different director and different cast involved. And they filmed like, I think they filmed maybe about 30% of the movie and then they scrapped it all and redid it. Whoa. And that's very, uh, solo in a way. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. And, um, I think Jaws 2 is fun, but like it's definitely a, a, a step down and, it, it was one of those things where you get all these cases in the Jaws franchises of not letting creative people have their way. Because, like, the original Jaws 3 was actually supposed to be a comedy called Jaws 3 People Zero. And it was supposed to be like a, like a, a wow. wacky, zany comedy about, about Jaws. The script is terrible for it, but it, it looks like it was supposed to be like, you know, have a creator, creative person, like, do their spin on it and they, it just it really got hampered down by just you know not being able to have much control because they they because like you know spielberg had ideas for a prequel to jaws that was like um all set on like a boat the india at uss oh, indianapolis wow. like the oh, whole wow yeah and, and um there's a great last podcast episode yes. all the, the the indianapolis secret singing and he was gonna make a movie into the water <laughs> None came out. And yeah, and, and he, he wanted to make a prequel for that, but they're like, no. So then he's just like not interested. And you can really see when, you know, Jurassic Park came around, he was like, this people was like, they're going to make a sequel to this. I want to have more control over this. Like, I want to let what I want to do happen. Um, and he I made think- Michael Crichton write a book and then didn't use it. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Like pretty much. Um, what a dick. No, just, uh... <laughs> but but really, he wanted to to have more control over the Jurassic franchise because he didn't have much control over the original Jaws franchise. Yeah, and I think he still. I think there's still like some remake rights that like Spielberg holds, and that's the reason why there's no more Jaws movies. Wow, <laughs> he just like refuses. I think one of the more most interesting like. You know, going through effects work, you can really understand why CG changed so much for him. 
uh, Spielberg in specific, uh, because you learn about how bad and how terrible his experience was on, on Jaws, where it was all practical effects, right? Oh, yeah. And you get the same thing with James Cameron on Aliens versus his the rest of his career. It's because um, these people, like, lived and sweated and had all these terrible experiences trying to make practical effects work. And they're very like creative people who want have like a very specific idea of how they want to tell a story. <laughs> and they're like, they're are not able to do that because they don't have the it, endless possibilities that they do with CGI. And yeah. you can really see them like latch on and really take that to the nth degree in the, in their later careers. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was really um, must have really been a, a, an amazing thing for like Spielberg to see CGI because he'd be like, <laughs> "Oh my god, I have complete control! Like, yeah. I can make everything I want happen." And you know, there's like pluses and minuses to that. Obviously, I can't CGI happiness. <laughs> <laughs> but I can CGI smiles on all their faces. Oh. I love it. Um, but yeah, there's always pluses and minuses to that because one of the things that makes, you know, the original Jaws so well is that, you know, you don't see much of the shark. It's it's all. Yeah. And I think what's amazing about Jurassic Park is it's the perfect in-between. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in a lot of ways. And it's one of those things where, like, looking at, you know, how other franchises exist, you can really kind of get a better idea of what Jurassic Park franchise was. Well, and it's interesting too, and that's why I was like curious to learn a little bit more about Jaws was because we're living in that age where, yeah, things are rebooted, remade, and um, again, things aren't reboots. They're just sort of like, let's, instead of, yeah, let's wiping the slate clean, like, let's actually acknowledge everything is, you know, and it makes sense because it's like, uh, companies, they don't want to say, Hey, your shit didn't matter. Like, here's how we can make everything matter. Like, that's right. why our like obsession with canon has only like increased tenfold. And like, uh, rides don't need to be canon. I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, but I was gonna, uh, you, you do, uh, rant about that in the book. So that's completely, oh, uh, yes. accurate. <laughs> I'm consistent. Uh, but I, but I was gonna say because, yeah, it seems like Spielberg and, the alien franchise in some ways they still have uh there's been a little bit of like let's trot out the director and be like i approve you know like even if they have nothing to do with the future sequels whereas my impression of jaws was that it was almost like thanks guys for the money and then the studio went off and did their own thing you know, that's yeah that's pretty much what what happened um because yeah because every time spielberg would want to do something they would just shoot it down and you're like, All right, <laughs> screw this i don't care yeah no, again, studios are like, look, if we at least have the impression and have these like ridiculous pull quotes where it's like, oh, it's bad. It's like people talking about their it's like a band that gets back together and talks about their new album. Like it's the most <laughs> realest thing we've ever done. It's like, I don't think Terminator Dark Fate, uh, you know, like <laughs> they people like my favorite thing about every time a new Terminator movie comes out, they like just drag uh, James Cameron into a studio to say that he loves it. Um, and people don't remember, cause like none of the, the Terminator is one of the insane, most insane franchises. Cause I have like no connection, connective tissues essentially. Um, and one of the funniest things is like every single, I think, I think even Terminator Salvation had like a pull quote from, 
um, James Cameron saying like, yeah, this has the, the spirit of the original. It's just as good as the original. <laughs> and then the new one comes out. It's like Terminator Genesis. And he's like, it's got the spirit of the original. It's just as good as the original. And then Terminator Dark Fate comes out. It's got the spirit of the original. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, is this the same clip? Did you just play the same clip? Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. They just, they just age him up. Like add some gray hair and be like, <laughs> let's just reuse this in perpetuity every time we make the franchise. Yeah. I mean, I think. From my understanding, Spielberg is more involved in Jurassic than maybe some might think, uh, just from what I've heard. For you, I guess, you know, again, diving into this stuff, like you grew up watching those movies and then like what was seeing Jurassic World for you like? It was fascinating because, you know, I I think like the biggest like for me, um, the biggest Jurassic Park movies were The Lost Worlds and uh, JP3 because I was like very much of the age where it's like everything like the the Lost World was like that that Christmas all of my toys were like the Lost <laughs> Worlds toys and like it was every single one of those and the same thing happened when Jurassic Park 3 came out like I even have like the uh, I still have the Jurassic Park 3 board game um, where you can oh, like nice. play as like the dinosaurs and stuff like that so I was kind of like really ripping and raring and getting really excited for this. Um, and it was everything I kind of wanted because in, in, I haven't revisited, I don't think I've revisited Jurassic World in a long time. I, maybe not even since it came out, which is a bit of a surprise considering like I've seen, you know, the other ones a lot. <laughs> like yeah. I, I really like all the other ones. But when, when I first saw Jurassic World, it was very much like, a, oh my God, like this is, this is what I wanted. Like it's like, it's a legacy, legacy sequel. And it's like kind of like, oh my God. And it ends in like a Godzilla fight, essentially. Like, yeah. It's, oh it, yeah. Cause your love of Godzilla as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it melded all those things together. And for some reason, it's the one I don't revisit too much. Cause I, I don't know if I'm afraid. Cause like I had such a good experience with it. And the internet has kind of like for the last <laughs> six years uh, just t- told me it's consistently terrible, and I'm always afraid to go back and revisit Jurassic World because I mean, like I I enjoy it so much, and I always I had such like a a, a good reaction to it, and I just really love Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, yeah. is she's so good in all those movies, um, and I I really liked um. I even like the kids in that. Like I, I thought it all worked and it all, I had a very emotional reaction to it in the theater actually. Um, yeah. So it really worked for me. And I guess that's the reason why I'm afraid to revisit it because <laughs> it, it did work really well for me. Yeah. I mean, for my, uh, you know, I, I'm somebody who I think you know this about me, but like, I'm definitely somebody who loves everything the first time I see it. Right. And it's and it's like the more I watch something, the more I discover its flaws. Huh, I wonder what that says about me. But like, uh, so for me, and I did a really fun episode with Perry Nemiroff from Collider where we kind of talked about just the nature of ranking our Jurassic Park films and right. sort of how that right. changes over the years, if it changes at all. And, you know, when Jurassic World came out, it was, you know, right at like literally a month after this book was published. I was like, well, this is my favorite movie. This is my favorite Jurassic film since the original, but has since dropped to the very bottom. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think in a lot of ways, I think that I probably would have that you nowadays because, and I almost wonder if that's because of where culture went. Because at the time, because in, in many ways, Jurassic, 
Jurassic World is more of a legacy sequel than it is like a sequel to the two and three. Like two yeah, and three are still technically canon, but it's really trying to call back to um, like Jurassic Park, the original. And it's very heavy on nostalgia. It's very like heavy on these moments of like, do you remember the visitor center? And like, there's like all these like very, um, you know, big moments of that. Um, and I don't know if now that would work for me because I don't know if I like that anymore, but not because of Jurassic, it's not Jurassic World's fault that all of pop culture became that way. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's like, it's weird. In this book, I remember very much thinking about, and I, I love the uh, lo- love what you just called it, a legacy sequel. I think, honestly, that's kind of the perfect name for a lot of these movies, because to me, and I, I think I say this in the book, but like Skyfall, the Muppets movie, Jurassic World, Force Awakens, they're all the same movie. They right. all begin with yep. this false premise that it's like, you don't care about X anymore, so we're going to show you why X is vital and essential to moving forward, even if we're going to have a new generation or new ideas. But ultimately, that's a false premise because these movies wouldn't get made if people still didn't love them. Right, exactly. It's kind of it's one of the same things that happens in like even the Halloween franchise. The newest Halloween movie oh, you're was right. very oh much God. that, where they threw out all the other sequels. Like, this is just a sequel to number one. You remember yeah. the first one? And it's like, it's always, it's, it's always like a weird, weird thing to kind of happen because, you know, I would not get tired of dinosaurs. Like the the whole the whole conceit of Jurassic World is like people are tired of old dinosaurs, and I'm like, you would it, people aren't tired of warthogs. Like <laughs> like I'm, I just mean like of normal zoos. Like I don't think yeah, I'm yeah. bored of a gorilla or like uh, <laughs> or of, of like a, a cheetah or anything like oh, that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're and, right because that would almost this premise would almost make more sense if in our real world people didn't care about those kind of things anymore either. Right. And I, again, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit because you have a very interesting chapter about zoos and whether or not you would go to Jurassic Park, which I think oh, would yeah. be a fascinating thing to talk about. Um, but it, it, it is that false premise because it's just like, oh, because I remember watching it and I was like, oh, yeah, the old school still good because the Raptor and the T-Rex beat the new guy. And like now oh, modern yeah. day, modern me is like, destroy the pa- burn the burn the past like it's basically like I, i'm yoda in the last jedi and i'm like get rid of the past burn it burn it and move forward yeah yeah we're we're the spinosaurus we're the well depending on what version of alien 3 you watch you're the cow or the dog alien um <laughs> but uh yeah no that's i mean it's it's this thing of to me i i almost wonder if jurassic world would have been better if they had taken like almost like a blackfish angle, which I think I also talk about in the book Yes, you do. where it's, it's like appealing to our sympathies, which is why I think fallen kingdom is ultimately a better movie than Jurassic world. But also I had this envisioning for the opening of Jurassic world because again, that false premise is, is kind of mixed even more because we obviously see a kid who loves dinosaurs and isn't sick of them, but that's not reinforcing our, I thought you said everyone was sick of them. So like, it's confusing the metaphor. And I almost think a better opening would have been Claire going throughout her day. And we're seeing these wonders that she's just bored of. And we're like, no, Claire, look, that's amazing. And like, you want the audience almost to have that urgency of like wanting to root for the premise almost. And I feel like, yeah, with Jurassic world ultimately, I mean, I, I'm glad, I'm glad we got there, but like, at, you know, in, in a way the movie is 
Claire coming, like realizing that, but it's like, I almost wish the movie would have honed on that even more personally. Right. And it's, I think one of the things that's interesting about Jurassic world is that fallen kingdom brings all the characters to much more interesting places yeah. So you're like way more, inv- I'm way more, I, sometimes I have problem, like if we're like a TV show, like if you're at season three of a TV show and they've gone through all of this amazing character development, sometimes it's hard to go back to like season one and just like watch it. And you're like, oh man, like Mulder and Scully aren't kissing. Like, this is, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah. you know, you're, you're so used to where the characters are. It's some, sometimes kind of uh, not as interesting to go back. And I think the thing about Fallen Ki- Fallen Kingdom, I think, asks a lot more interesting questions, too. Yes. Which I think is, is is one of those things, like, where it's like, what is our responsibility for what we have created versus, like, what is natural, right? And, like, all these interesting elements. And there's also, like, it feels like there's more of a stamp, like a stylistic stamp. Oh, my gosh. On of course. Kingdom, Bayona, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like a gothic horror film in the middle of that movie. And it's all filmed in a way that no other Jurassic film has been and jurassic world is very much of this is what jurassic park was like don't you remember look this character has a t-shirt that's the original jurassic park (laughs) whoa Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It, it is very interesting to kind of tackle what the world has become after Jurassic World. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, let me just ask you right now, what is your ranking of the five movies? And you can include uh, Battle of Big Rock, but like, come on, guys, it's a short uh, film. You yeah, can't I'm compare gonna, it to a full-length movie. I like Battle, Battle of Big Rock is great. I'm not, <laughs> what, you want me to put Camp Cretaceous in there too? Like, I don't know. what are we talking about here? Um, oh, so I, it's hard because like, okay, one is obviously number one. For me, for me, one yeah. is obviously number one. And then it might be like three... Fallen Kingdom, Lost World, Jurassic World. And I don't know what it is about three that compels me so. Because I I almost wonder if like things like uh, this podcast makes me love three even more, right? Because like I feel like, you know, the the Billy Brennan songs, um, just like really like it's <laughs> watching it, it feels like I'm having 
fun with friends, even if we're not talking about it right away. It's like, oh, this is a fun, uh, you know, I can make jokes with Steven. This is very fun. Like, it's very much like uh. I, I associate jp3 with community almost like it's like a very much like uh this is one of those movies that like you know if if we're talking about jurassic park movies and you're like ah alan raptor i appreciate him and i'm like yes we can hang out and have a conversation and have fun it is very much like jp3 is is very much also like a classic dinosaur film as well yeah well and yeah i think maybe your background in more classic monster movies of yore probably helps you appreciate it maybe more than like yeah people who like our first monster movie was the 1998 godzilla you know <laughs> like right right i i also like i love alan grant and i think it's just one of those things about like the more alan grant in a movie um the more i am in love with it basically i wanted to be him as a kid so no i mean i mean i would say most people um feel the same way and yeah i was gonna say my ranking is basically the same as yours right now but i would flip fallen kingdom and jp3 right uh because i just think like blue crying to me is like cool we got a dinosaur crying like yeah <laughs> like we're at that point in the franchise we're like i mean to me like there's something so beautifully physical about fallen kingdom with yeah. blood and snot and tears and like it, it they're I, I will say I agree with some more criticisms like later in the Fallen Kingdoms release where like it is amazing that they had much more animatronic focus, but in a way it like made the film at some points feel smaller because scenes were just basically like, here's an animatronic in the middle and everyone's surrounding it. And it's like, I, I kind of understand that criticism of it but at the same time i'm like yeah but it was worth it to me right i i i i bet you like that flip-flopping will happen with me as well because like one of the things about fallen kingdom is that it kind of does embody my current worldview in a lot of ways like the way yes. that it, it very much is like positive towards like you have if if humans cause press the problem the press the button we have to like if humans cause the problem we have to solve it and like the solving is not just murder I think about this a lot because, uh, like, you know, the percast and in a lot of ways talking about TNR, talking about how to properly, like, care for, like, feral animals and make sure and talk about, like, their environmental impact and everything like that. And I always think the proper answer is we humans created this problem. We should find a compassionate solution for it. Yes. No, I. Yeah. And I wonder, yeah, if that's the road moving forward with Dominion in a way where it's reconciling that even more by having like much more of the original cast in it. But yeah, yeah, of course. But, uh, and but also I, I think like, like Laura Dern is the greatest human to have ever lived. So like, yep. I think JP three, even though it has very minimal Dern, it does have that Dern bump. So. Yeah. Oh, you know, you got to appreciate the Dern bump, but um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll tell, I mean, I think you hit it on the head very well. Like for me and I, you know, that's how Brenna and I really connected was over our love of JP three and that idea that, like, I, you know, again, I, I do love Lost World. And I think talking to Omar and my friend Annie, like my friend Megan, like they have great opinions on Lost World. And again, like the King Kongness of it all. But ultimately, like JP3 is just so much fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that is that kind of the, that thing. I love the Lost World. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, even if it's like lower on my list, like. That doesn't mean I don't like The Lost World. Well, of right? course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very fun movie. 
yeah, but yeah, for me, it's just JP3. And it makes me wonder, you know, cause there's a great, um, there's a great podcast that's been coming out, uh, called Stuck on Sorna, which is, uh, this guy, Daniel Steven, he does like, this huge deep dive into JP3. He's interviewed oh. Ed Vero. Like he, he's interviewed tons of people. Um, he interviewed me on it for it just, you know, to get like regular Joe's opinion. But, um, yeah, he's yeah, interviewed a lot of regular Joe, but. Uh, regular Joe Johnston. Uh, but he, but he's been like actually chatting with a lot of, it's one of those things where it's like people think, oh, I'll just chat with the director and the writer and like, that's it. It's like, no, there's so many other people involved in making these movies. I would love to hear the production designer. I would love to hear those people's opinions on it. And he, I believe, yeah, I believe he broke some information that like essentially Alexander Payne wrote two thirds of JP3. He created the Kirby's, you know, and uh, he wanted to put more Laura Dern, but basically he just kind of got swept up in other stuff. Right. And they basically just had to finish, uh, you know, they had to film JP3 with basically like a, th- a two thirds of an Alexander Payne script. Wow. And, you know, to me, it's like, I just wonder, like, what would it have been like if, if, uh, because you talk about the comedyness of Jaws 3 and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like. There is, again, in the, the book, I think I like really like that's one of those things I've been focusing on so much of JP3. And I'm, I'm actually almost trying to break away from that interpretation of JP3 as a black comedy because I don't know. I just want to like look at the film in other ways. But that for me has like really pre- preoccupied me since this book really is like the black comedy nature of it. Like again, imagining Paul Giamatti playing Grant in this movie could easily work. Right. Yeah. No, there, there it, it is a very, it's a very, interesting um i because in in the book it seems like you know it for for one of my okay one of my favorite things about jp3 in this book is that you have an interpretation that i had never even crossed my mind before and that is that that t-rex is supposed to be junior like it's supposed to be like the baby <laughs> because you make you in the book you literally go like this makes junior the martyr of the Jurassic Park yeah, franchise yeah. and i'm like whoa okay whoa <laughs> like whoa i had no i like i had never put that in my head i was just like yeah that's another t-rex I mean- um and uh, that is really uh really an interesting way to look at it because it's like oh make it pulling your heartstrings and like destroying this character and i'm like whoa i i did not interpret it that way and it was very interesting to hear that interpretation well and and it is one of those things that like you know uh, because jurassic park as a franchise has you know in some ways some of the most minimal content per franchise time ratio you know right you you think you think about marvel you think about star wars and the amount of expanded stuff so it's like the 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 quote unquote plot hole about Rexy and the height of the, you know, fence or whatever. And, uh, like, yeah, like junior, uh, like the, the Rex and JP three, like there's these kind of lingering questions that like we just debate and talk about over the years because in the JP three commentary on the original DVD, I believe it's Stan Winston or John Rosengrant that do say something to the effect of like, in our minds, we were thinking this was the grown up, uh baby t-rex from the lost world oh, you know wow. and so yeah. and again because because of the themes and the things that i was thinking about with jp3 like as far as the black comedyness, the sort of coen brothers uh vibe sometimes of like look at all these idiots in over their head um that i think alexander payne was going for you know um oh yeah 100%. And, and so to me just having the 
the baby T-Rex from the Lost World grow up to be this, you know, this male T-Rex that gets, you know, neck snapped by the Spinosaurus. Like, it just was another, like, cruel, hilarious, hilariously cruel fate, you know? Right. And it's it's so fast because, again, like, of course, this is pre-Fallen Kingdom. But the way that Fallen Kingdom plays with the very deliberate energy in that that the final like the brachiosaur uh, demise as they leave the the island, um, and the way that it uses the imagery and the way that it, like it really invokes like the majesty of the yes. death uh, uh, of the brachiosaur, um, and there's no majesty in <laughs> there's ben, Benny Hill music, you know. Is when you like, and they sped up the theme two times, and I like when that happened. I was like, "Oh, Stephen, I'm listening to this at two times speed because that we podcast in an hour, and I need to get through it. This is hilarious!" Like, you know, like, oh my god, the first time I didn't, I did, I just listened to it at normal normal speed, obviously. But like, we're getting ready to podcast today. I wanted to re-listen to it. And I was going at two times speed. No, I, I, I mean, I no, I appreciate that. That, that I mean, you listened, and uh, but you know. There are people who listen to podcasts at 10 times speed. I, that's not possible. Like, I, I, I don't understand that. Also, like, <laughs> I know that I already speak fast. So it's like, am I just a chipmunk to people? Like, me, me, me. I don't know. You're Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, you know, a, a, as a film. You're, you're, um, oh my gosh. Why can't I think of one film historian right now? Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're Pauline, you're a chipmunk Pauline Kale. Here we go. Chip, chipmunk Pauline Kale. <laughs> Dory Shafrir actually wrote a great art. She's been on SJR. Um, she talked about getting stuck on the JP3 or on the Jurassic Park ride at, at uh, Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. But but Dory Shafrir wrote a great article, I think, for BuzzFeed about the 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 podcast speedheads who like listen to podcasts at like ten speed. You know, I'll, I'll include that link in the in this episode because it's a really fun. I mean, again, as somebody who edits podcasts, like it, that. It, my brain just broke thinking about it, you know? Well, yeah, because cool, well, we essentially, like, editing a podcast is listening to it at, like, 25 speed, essentially. Because you, like, listen to a thing, you go, oh, is that a weird sound? Listen, 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 listen. Slow down, slow down, zoom in. Listen, listen, listen. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. That's a great point. Yeah, we are literally listening. Yeah, like, sometimes it, it changes a little bit, but, like, there are times where, I mean, to me, like, especially if people are starting out editing and, like, uh, if they're asking me for advice or whatever, it's like, honestly, like if a podcast is an hour, multiply the time that it'll take to edit, like by like 2.5 or your three oh, yeah. sometimes. Oh yeah. hundred uh, percent, especially starting out um, and always have multiple tracks if you can. So you can really yeah. isolate the weird sounds. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, yeah. The JP three ness of it is very, again, just makes it the most fun. And it, I think even with Omar and I, we were just like, God, like you're right. Like, yeah, Andrew, that's such a great point of like, it just weirdly and because it, I, because the movie was, uh, and I think now because the nature of the making of that movie is very well known, it's almost like, ah, I can't be mad at you. You know, like you tried your best, you know, like it's just very scrappy in a way that like, and the way nostalgia works and, uh, you know, of course, right. With, with, uh, you know, certain movies when, when a generation that was like, 10 to 13 when they like that movie when those people are in their 30s which is like happening now um you know i was 13 or 14 when jp3 came. i think i was 14 uh you know now that i'm in my mid 30s i'm like 
oh man, I love this Spinosaurus. But it's like, wait a minute, we all hated this Spinosaurus when we were right. that age. It's, you know, uh, it's it's very strange. Yeah, it, it, it is very strange. Um, and I think like one of the things like about like JP3 in Pacific is that it's it's not setting up a larger story. It's an event. Like it's just yeah. it's contained. Like it's it's very much a contained movie. Like there's nothing in that movie that's like, come back for JP4 and like see what's gonna happen with the eggs. Billy brought the eggs home. Whoa. Yeah. Like there's nothing like that. Like it it's not like because you know, eggs. you watch a Marvel movie now, there's like pieces are left open for future sequels, obviously. Yeah. That's kind of cause the cause that's how franchises work right now. Yeah. Um and you know, it there's none of that in JP3. And that's so unusual for nowadays sequels. Well, um, and the containedness, I think, is one of the benefits. And weirdly, I'd almost argue that, like, over the years, again, as another element of franchising, uh, is trying to make retroactively make moments more or more essential. Right. And right. There is, there is some elements of JP3 to me that have, like, stuck out since of, like, the nature of people kind of getting used to this sort of ever present idea of dinosaurs, maybe being around poaching, touristing stuff and sort of a, a, uh, unacknowledgement of trauma of the original survivors of like, who cares? <laughs> dinosaurs like that to me and the nature of the Spinosaurus being sort of more of a monster than a, uh, am I a man or a Muppet? You know, like, is, is this like more of a dinosaur or more of a monster than a dinosaur? I think that stuff in a way has in my brain sort of set you up for this world of Jurassic world with the Indominus and, yeah, uh, no, that's uh, for sure. the, the disregard for sort of the danger of Jurassic world and, and sort of the callousness or the sort of, uh, carelessness of it, of its creation. So that to me has like sort of retroactively kind of carried over. Um, and then also in canon or in the world, a lot of the sort of, um, because again, Jurassic Park fans, we have like, I mean, the idea that Camp Cretaceous has given us, uh, I can't do math. Uh, it's, it's given us like, you know, almost like 10 hours of new Jurassic Park lore and content is insane. But, uh, you know, before that, it's like we had this DPG website that was essentially saying, like, Wu went back to Sorna. He created the Spinosaurus. Like, there's a world in which, like, if they had made all these movies with, like, knowing they were going to do it, like, there would be a scene in the lab in JP3 where they find, like, and it kind of calls back to the original uh, Lost World book where it's like some stuff is still active and working. And, like, wouldn't right. that, that have been a cool mystery to set up where you're like, Oh, like people are back making dinosaurs. What does that mean? And then you go to Jurassic World and like Wu is like the head guy and like, you know, but that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But no, but uh, that, that is interesting. Right. And that's something that I think like maybe like a book or something could do really well. Like if I'm really, one of the things that I'm most surprised about of the Jurassic World franchise is they just don't like there's a few books, but there's not many. There's like, there's nowhere I mean, near the amount that there is for like, Star Wars or like even Alien there's an insane amount of books in the Alien franchise about everything <laughs> like so much stuff uh yeah I interviewed Tess Sharp about her novel The Evolution of Claire which was really great and in uh you know it references the lost world like Claire saw that moment on TV because the news obviously was covering it I mean it was CNN you know 
yeah, it is a real shame that we haven't gotten like the evolution of Wu, the evolution of Muldoon or, you know, it's hard because it's like, can you do Jurassic Park stories without dinosaurs? Right. That I mean, yeah, that is the that is the kind of the, the question. Although, like, I mean, like the evolution of Muldoon, Muldoon had, was around for a while and there was clearly other Velociraptor incidents that happened because they really yeah, did that, right? You could use Yeah. That. And yeah, you could even just, you know, I mean, I think even his work in in Africa and stuff would be really interesting. You could even like yeah. sew some com- Congo related connections or something like that. Uh, yes, yes. See, this is why you need to write this. <laughs> I know. Well, hey, look, if anyone's listening, give me a call. <laughs> Here's my phone number. No, um, as we've been talking, which has been amazing, I really appreciate that you read it because I'm like, yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to like go back with my own stuff and be like, isn't this great? But uh, but isn't it great? No, uh, it is. I get, I, look, I listened to it twice. I enjoyed it both times. See, you don't have to take it from me, listeners. Uh, Andrew Robach is a very his opinion. I trust. Uh, so you know, I just have to go with what Andrew says. It's not my fault. What, what did I write? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even remember. But I guess for you, is there anything things that you read that you have thoughts on or, or just sort of themes and things and things that you've been thinking about in your own work as well, too? Does Prometheus still hurt you? Like, you see, <laughs> you <And> see. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which chapter I talked about Prometheus. It was like right near the end because you talk about like the Barbasol being the space jockey. And then yes. you talk about how I love that essay. Yeah, it's, that, it's a, that it's one. A great that one. Essay. I think that one. I think I'm like most proud of. If, nice. if anything, yeah. in this book. No, it's a great essay. But like when you get to like Prometheus, it's just like, and Prometheus is sloppy. And I'm like, I mean, you're not wrong in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's but one, it's like, yeah, it's Prometheus is a sloppy angry. bitch. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and it's a, it seems like a very angry <laughs> um, view. And what do you think about going into, say, Jurassic World, comparing it to Prometheus as like that that thing of like where you're revisiting a very familiar idea, and how do you do that, and whether or not it was as successful, it has the same pitfalls, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because. Ridley Scott don't give a fuck. Have you? I don't know if you've listened. I don't know if you've listened to the Prometheus commentary. Oh, I have. It's so funny where he's like, "Oh, this new upstart is trying to tell me what to do." Like, it's just, oh my gosh, so funny. It's so because like everyone's on someone to be like, "Hey, uh, this is kind of like uh, what happened in Alien versus Predator," and like Willie's apparently Willie Scott just like gave him a look and is like, "We did not talk about those films." Like, we yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we haven't really gotten an example of this like we've never like james cameron hasn't gone back to alien aliens like i mean ridley scott is kind of the only like spielberg hasn't directed another jurassic park like there isn't an example of a filmmaker coming back after the legacy-ness has been explored so like ridley scott was kind of like and i think other people have said this uh angie han a really great writer oh yeah she's 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 a huge prometheus fan and I feel like she's made me appreciate that movie more, but I think there is this kind of idea that like, like the best parts about Prometheus and what was the sequel called? Alien Uh, Covenant. Oh yeah. Like those movies, like the most interesting stuff about those movies have nothing to do with the alien stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's completely, completely fair. And I, I, I was just kind of surprised to like this because I, you know, alien comes up a lot in this book. Yeah. Like, you know, Alien 3 comes up, Alien, Aliens, 
talking about like, you know, how you deal with some of the characters and how you feel about these characters going into the next, uh, the next chapter. Um, and I was just, I, I was just interested to see like what your story was with the alien franchise, yeah. like, um, and how that kind of related to this book. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, you know, and I, I think that's maybe more of like a personal preference, but it's almost like, yeah, I mean, the stuff about Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which I only saw on a plane, so I, I kind of want to rewatch it just because I feel like when you're kind of in the haze of being on an airplane, like I watched, that was a great, because I was coming back from Australia from the MFM tour in 2017. Wow. And I watched, you know, because the plane rides are long. So I watched Kong. And I actually never watch movies on planes. I just feel like I can't. I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. Right. But on that, but on that flight, I was like, I don't know. Just I like, I just such a long flight. You just I, like, I was like, I don't know. I can't focus on like, I'm not going to read two books or whatever, but right. <laughs> uh, Cause I normally either sleep or read on airplanes, but yeah, I watched Kong skull Island. Then I watched uh alien covenant. And then I fell asleep uh, like a third of the way through the mummy. The, the, oh, the, the, the top cruise. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, but, but yeah, I will almost say it's almost like, yeah, I mean, I still think I, I haven't watched Prometheus in a long time, but I still maybe would guess that I have this sort of, it, it, again, it's like, it's uh, Ridley Scott is in a way that it's very true to himself. He is exploring what he found interesting about look. I mean, it's the, it's like the Bob Dylan-ness of it, where it's like, he's going to play a cut, like he's going to play. I don't know if you know this, but the way Bob Dylan chooses what songs to play now he listens to other people covering his songs and he's like, oh. that's an interesting version of my song. And then he basically <laughs> kind of plays that version of it instead of how he originally played it. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's always very interesting for a creator to come back to a piece of work after it's already been sequelized and changed and everything like that. Like it's very, it's like if, like what would it look like if George Lucas came back to direct the next star Wars movie? Like yeah. that would be crazy and insane and they shouldn't do it. Uh, but <laughs> or they should, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I like George. I'm not trying to. Yeah. At this point, well, yeah, at this point I'm kind of just game for whatever. I feel like maybe that's my attitude now, but yeah, I think, I think I definitely think Prometheus for me, it was like, it's that more personal thing of like, he's not exploring the, the things that I was curious about, you know? Oh yeah. No, that, 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 that makes total sense. Total sense. Um, you think you'd ever write like a sequel to this book? Cause like, it's almost like, I don't know if I would, I don't want you to do a revised version of this book because then the version two might be the only one people read. And I think this is a very intense, like this version is very of a time and place. That's really cool. I would be interested to hear like a sequel to this almost. Cause oh, like, thank you. You know, you're, you know, it's been six years. Like you've started this podcast. There's like a whole, like your relationship with this franchise has forever changed just by all the people you've talked to and all the people you've like interacted with. Um, and I just think it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of things you talk about in this movie is it's very, it's very awesome because this is just your opinions on <laughs> things. Right. And I love, I love listening to conversations with people. Those are amazing. Like that's what podcasts are made for. Um, but I also really like just you saying your opinions and not having to like, paint it in a way that has like more open to interpretation or open for discussion. Just here's what I thought about this movie at this time. Yeah. And just laying it out there. Um, and I would love to hear like a sequel to this book because, you know, 
I I think I, the this book is is really good actually. Like oh, I'm pretty you. sure I will listen to this um, multiple times. Like I'm sure whenever I want to like revisit the Jurassic Park franchise and kind of go back to that point in history, like I do think that this is a very good touchstone. Also, I do want to say I I listened to the audiobook and the person who read it was Joshua Kumler Kumler. Um, and, uh, he does a really interesting, um, you know, version of, of someone I always hear speak of like reading your words. And oh, wow. Like, That's fascinating. Yeah. I've, um, I've actually never listened to it. I, I, you know, it's sometimes hard to revisit your own stuff. But oh, it's, of it's course. Been... Of course. But, uh, he does a good job. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's great to hear. And no, I mean, I really appreciate that. And I mean, in some ways, the podcast is the sequel to the book. That's very true. That is, very true. It, you know, because at the time when I was writing this again, I was like, you know, I started to follow Jurassic Outpost. I maybe had seen a few Clayton videos, uh, Victoria's Cantina, uh, Jurassic Park podcasts, you know, with Brad. I think this was before Tom, you know, Tom Fishenden joined up with with them. And it was, yeah, there, I, I hadn't talked to as many people at this point, like, I, I, like this much about Jurassic Park. Didn't right. know that you could really, um, because, you know. Like I've said before, for most people, Jurassic Park is one great movie and then whatever. Uh, Which so, is yeah. also kind of what the book kind of says. Too, <laughs> the, the, the book goes kind of like talks about how it's like diminishing returns, like the sequels. And I just, well, that I language mean, was really surprising because like, I don't know if you would ever say that now. I mean, not that, yeah, not that I, it's I, wrong. I just mean like that definitive language was well, like, yeah, and I think that surprised well, yeah, no, but I mean, I think that's why it's almost like the sequel to the book is this podcast, because right. I can have more fun and not feel like I had, you know, that's always my opinion on, you know, uh, there's this kind of thing where like when somebody's like, what's your five favorite movies or what's your, you know, three favorite foods? And it's like some people panic because they think that if they say the things, it's going to be definitive. But it's like, no, for me, lists change all the time. Like, oh, and like you said, this idea of when you make a list or when you write a thing or, or make a thing, that's a stand, that's, it is not timeless. The, like you're right. The idea that we think anything we say or do is timeless is absurd because we, everything happens at the same time now. And, but also things happen in a linear fashion because we can only experience them that way. And so, yeah, no, I, I think if I were to write a, like a sequel to this, which actually now that you say that it would be kind of fun, but I would want to do it after Dominion comes out because oh, I yeah. feel like, and the part of like even writing that first book was that like we've said at the beginning is like, this might be the last time I ever get to experience these movies in this way. And yeah, I don't want to get caught up in like, you know, again, the, again, even my own, like, Oh, I don't want to make this thing not timeless, but it's more of the idea of like, it's just, you know, I, I, I like the conversations I've been having about because I truly think the, you know, that first real season of SJR was really just the road to Fallen Kingdom. And that was really right. fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's a good that that is a very good point, because I think probably going back and listening to the first season of SJR is is exactly like a sequel to this book, because it's right in the precipice of what could be and exploring your fandom up to that point And even the uh, the amazing fan fiction, your old your old uh, yeah, stories, yeah. which is the yeah, yeah. the greatest stuff. In a way, that's why for me with this podcast, it's been more of a, and and then COVID even made it more interesting. Of like, okay, what do I want to do with this podcast now that almost my initial goal with it, or or I guess maybe I didn't even realize at the time was to do the road to Fallen Kingdom. 
And so, yeah, now over the last like couple of years, it's been like, okay, what is this podcast now? And it's, you know, it's mostly just been like, I just like talking about this stuff. And I always find it funny when it's like people get mad if somebody like tags them in the same thing over and over again, but it's almost like, no, but that's amazing that when somebody sees this, they think of you. Like, how special is that idea? Like, yeah, you know, if yeah. I see a Godzilla thing, I'm like, oh, I got to send that to Andrew. You know, like to me, it's almost like, well, why wouldn't I want like that notion like why wouldn't i want to be tied like to things that i like you know i appreciate that like people send me cat things or dinosaur things or whatever uh yeah so that's mostly been like where i've been going but i think it would be nice now that you say that to write something to almost like bookend you know because again it's like we're wild to think that it's like we're about you know we're about you know less than a year away from wrapping up another phase of this franchise and there is obviously going to be more after but it's like i i hope that the dominion in a way like changes things fundamentally like we're just going full dinotopia uh you know yeah so i think that's kind of for me it's like figuring out what it would be about and again like thinking about dominion it's just like what what is this thing going to say that is going to make it essential to me or what is it going to say that i feel like yeah can speak to just the way we make movies now or the way we think about dinosaurs that's the stuff i'm curious about but it's like i don't really have any thoughts about it yet because you know we haven't seen the movie yet i've seen a little bit of footage and there's some questions of whether it will be in the movie anyway uh you know with the imax dominion thing but yeah so it's almost like right now i'm kind of I think I, I, I want to be happy with just feeling my way around, uh, and not have to like, <laughs> yeah, not to, not to make any definitive statements yet, because it's like, I'm still, I'm, I'm happy to like live in this world where Jurassic Park three has shot up to the top or almost to the top of my favorite movies and getting to just live in this world where hopefully we're getting to think about the things we love in so many different ways, you know, because yeah, Yeah. for me, it's almost like I'm tired of talking about the black comedy nature of JP three. Like I want to learn a different way to think about it now. Right. And it's always interesting because like, you know, especially nowadays we're like, I mean, like, I guess this was around, this is, well, sorry, like Twitter and things were definitely around in 2015, but it didn't feel like everything had like a level of discourse. And like this, the, the nature of discourse is that that is always a point in time of, one specific instance and it's like most of the time it's like none of us are really educated on the thing and then the thing that's like the best way of thinking about it happens when people get a chance to sit down and think about it um so i I do think that one of the fun things about this podcast it's more of just like a discussion you're just like talking to people have a discussion with them and obviously like when big things come up you guys have a discussion about big themes but you know there's really never any definitive statements (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think maybe that's in a way of like trying to break away from that need to be timeless. And like, you know, I'm just going to talk about my experience on the ride, you know, from the past yeah. weekend or whatever, you know, it's it's because, yeah, maybe hopefully this will all just kind of be setting me up for a place where I maybe, yeah, can think about things and, and write in a more definitive way again about what this all means. What does all mean and what it all means to you, because that's the most yeah. interesting part, right? Like, you know, yeah. sometimes people go what does this all mean? And I'm like, I don't really care what, like, it's like reading. So for me, reading a film review, I am way more interested in your subjective views than anything about objectivity, right? Like for me, it's always more interesting to hear 
Well, and also because true objectivity, I don't believe exists, especially not in the world of film. Uh, <laughs> but what? like, what, what you think and how you feel about a topic is always more interesting to me than trying to figure out what it means to everyone. And, yeah. you know, surprisingly enough, this came up in therapy. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is therapy drop. But talking about how, like, there's no <laughs> definitive... therapy drop. <laughs> uh, like, that there's no definitive meaning for life. Everyone's meaning for life is different depending on who you are. And I always think that that is way more interesting to find out what you get out of entertainment, what you get out of your life. And I think that that's always kind of dri- driven out by conversations with other people, which is always the joy of podcasting. Yes. And I will say, I mean, I think maybe subconsciously, too, that was also part of the reason why I put a Congo quote up front. Look how I'm ending this with a Congo thing again. Yeah. Because why my, you know, my friends and I connect, why we connect, why Brenna and I connected is because it's like this sort of post ironic age where it's like we can like something and we can love it and be like, well, yeah, there's no objectiveness, you know, to that. But also, like, let's not pretend that everything is amazing either. And, you know, there's like a healthy middle ground. And I love the idea that for Congo, I, I, there's things about it that I have found, uh, like you've said, you know, there's these deeply personal connections. And I think it's healthy to remember that in anything you do, really, that like, that's the whole point. It's like, we can't, we can't wall ourselves off and be like, this is how this thing is. And it's amazing. And if you say it's otherwise, then you suck. And, you know, it just, it feels that that's just not a fun way to, go about things yeah yeah exactly and of course like that that goes back to like gatekeeping like you were yes. saying about how like people use opinions and, and and things to like kind of like gatekeep um to quantify your love of something which is yeah ridiculous. yeah and, and again like you know if you've only ever seen jurassic park one you're a true jurassic fan if you've only seen jurassic park two and you love it you're a true jurassic fan right like there's no there's no definitive of what makes you a true fan it's like love is a love <laughs> like you know if you yeah. love something you love something and you know that means a lot to you and that matters yeah well i that's a beautiful way to end it andrew <laughs> uh no i mean i really appreciate it. this was really nice i i feel like i've recently which is so much stuff in my life changing and shifting it's like i kind of have been like yeah, I just, I don't really know. It, yeah, I'm like, ugh, like, uh, I'm just going to play Magic and Subnautica for a while. And, but I feel like I, I definitely feel very good, uh, about this space. And yeah, I mean, I, I am so excited you're wanting to help edit some things. And because, yeah, I've had some great conversations with people that have just been sitting around for a couple months. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I'm really, I'm really thankful you wanted to do this. Yeah, I, you know, thank thank you for having having me on for this. Like, cause like I listened and read to this book without any. I like I I didn't read it for podcasting. I just read it because I wanted. Like, I was like, oh, I you know, this is my friend. I want to support his work. I want to listen to his work and like see see what it was like in twenty fifteen. I had a great time listening to that that thing. And then you're like, oh, you want me to be on it? Like, you know, that was a nice bonus, but like that was never. It was. It's always nice when you do something genuinely, and then it can lead to a conversation, right? Yes. Well, and I was going to say, and I don't think you said this on the pod, but the letterboxd review thing right before we started talking, yeah. <laughs> if you want to explain that to people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, like, so again, one of the things about this book that I, that I really appreciate is that it's like, it's very upfront with its time period where, um, so before we did this podcast, somebody randomly liked my review of Jurassic World and I on letterbox and I look back and I'm like, 
oh, this is like a, a 2015 review of Letterboxd. And what happens is like, I can see it was made in 2015, but if you're just looking to it in like the letterbox thing, people just will see that as your actual opinion now. Wow. I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm like, oh no, like my opinion is, is very different. I'm glad you like that writing I did in 2015. Um, also like the way I was using letterbox, especially back then was like, nobody was following me. It was just for my own logging. So like, yeah. I never think of people like, so like every once in a while people go back and towards that and I'll be like, I hope you got the context that like, I hope you clicked on the review and saw 2015. Cause you have to like physically like click on it to see when it was made kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and if you didn't do that, I'm sorry to surprise you, but my opinions are, are very different. <laughs> Cause like, it was like a four and a half out of five star review. And it was like talking about all these things about the sequels that I didn't like that. Now I really love. Um, and it was just a very interesting way of looking back at my own history of film review and what it, what what it is, what it means, and how I have changed o- over the time, and uh, yeah. in good ways and bad. But it was just it was very interesting to see that come up because it's like, oh, my my history of Jurassic Park just randomly came up right before this podcast. Oh, yeah, my. that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, if you want, I would love to put a link to it oh, yeah. in the notes. <laughs> well, it's com- not very long; it's like a little paragraph. But yeah, sure. No, no, that'll be that'll be fun. But yeah, I mean, again, thank you so much, Andrew. And yeah, where can people follow you, find you, listen to podcasts, all that good stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Wine Movie Nerd, and which is ironic because I don't drink wine anymore. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's a it's my brand. No, it's just yeah, a yeah, name, a fun name. Um, and you can catch me on podcasting at Triassic Park. Um, and Melchick's and Mimosas is prob- probably gone for the near future, just because it is uh, a lot of energy from me on that show that I can't really get up to <laughs> post trope. Well, so. you have the you have had the ba- again this this timelessness and everything existing at once. You have the whole back catalog to listen to. Just take yourself back, you know, a couple years, and you know, go on that journey. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? That's that's a great that's a great great, great thing. Um, cause yeah, cause there are, uh, like people who were surrounded, like there's like a, a great Dak Schaefer and Annalise episode from a few years ago where we talked about like the history of like cartoon intro themes and everything oh like gosh. that, which is the Archie universe kind of stuff, which was really fun. And I remember it's interesting that this, that particular episode came up. Cause I remember after recording that episode, they sent me all these things like individually and like they said, oh, Steven edits like this all the time. So you can just edit like this, right? And like I had this mode of like, I didn't like I I listened to all your pocket, but like we never had an interaction before. So like yeah. someone was like, oh, Steven. And I'm like, oh my God, Steven is like, oh, like someone I like respect a lot. And like I'm like, oh my God, he's like a master podcaster. <laughs> so like, oh my God, like what's it like gonna be like to get this thing and try to edit it? And like it wasn't that complicated. Like it worked out okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's like, oh my god, yeah, and it's like big podcasts of like hearts, heart palpitating, and all this stuff. And I was just like, oh yeah, my buddy Steven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Well, again, thank you, Andrew, and fade out music. I don't know. <laughs> I should actually come up with a sign off for this podcast. Uh, but you know what? Not this day.
eggs. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.